Ladies and gentlemen, a quick disclaimer before we start this edition of the Shumi section. I used to host the Michael Schumacher podcast. It's still available on all your good podcast apps, but that podcast has come to an end, but it continues with the Shumi section here on Everything Racing Podcast. And the first few episodes of this particular segment of the show are going to be re-uploads of those episodes of the Michael Schumacher podcast. They're going to be completely unedited. There may well be some references to F1 Everything podcast and the Michael Schumacher podcast itself during these Schumi section editions of Everything Racing podcast. But yeah, I just wanted to give you a heads up about that really in case you get a bit confused. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. And here it is, the Schumi section. Everything Racing Podcast presents the Shumi section. In this edition, we're talking about the 1998 British Grand Prix. You know, the one where Michael won the race in the pit lane. Now, in today's episode of the podcast, we're talking about one of Michael's more bizarre victories. And it's a victory that came at the 1998 British Grand Prix at Silverstone. And we're going to talk about the events that led up to the race, the race itself, and the incredibly controversial finish to the race. Now, most of you know what happens at this race, but it's definitely something that I wanted to cover. It's the first British Grand Prix I remember watching as a child, and I remember even then thinking, what just happened? That didn't seem right. And the more you think about it, the crazier it was. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the 1998 British Grand Prix. So in 1998, Michael was embroiled in a battle with McLaren's Mika Hakkinen for the World Championship and to a lesser extent, David Coulthard. And this race was almost kind of one of the faint races that stopped Coulthard from being even remotely a championship challenger. And it was very much Michael versus Hakkinen. So to talk about Michael's season up to that point, he'd won three races so far that season. He'd won in Argentina, he'd won in Canada, and he'd won the previous Grand Prix in France. In fact, that French Grand Prix was a proper dominant race from Ferrari, and it was the first time the team took a 1-2 finish since the 1990 Spanish Grand Prix at Jerez, where Alain Prost and Nigel Mansell took the top two spots that, that, that day. So it had been nearly eight years since Ferrari had had a 1-2 finish, and when you think about it like nowadays, you think like, that, that's mad really, especially considering dominance the team would have in the early 2000s, but it took them nearly a decade to get a 1-2 finish. That just shows like how far off the pace the Ferrari was for the majority of the 1990s. So Ferrari were on a good run heading into Silverstone, and Silverstone was a track which it didn't exactly suit either the McLaren or the Ferrari. I mean, the Ferrari F300 was a good car, not as good or not as fast as the McLaren MP413. The, the MP413 was a beast of a car and it was great everywhere. But Silverstone kind of was a track that was kind of leveled the playing field as it suited the car's strengths 
you know, individually. I would say that the McLaren probably had the advantage. But it, it had the, the edge over the Ferrari that weekend, but it wasn't like, say, for example, in 2019, you've got tracks uh, like Spa and Monza, pure high-speed circuits, which suited the Ferrari in 2019, for example, because of its straight-line speed. It wasn't something like that. It was a track which kind of worked for both cars in different ways, so the, the playing field was quite level. So going into the British Grand Prix weekend, Hakkinen led Michael in the standings by six points. So Hakkinen had 50 points and Michael had 44 heading into this British Grand Prix weekend. So it was close. I mean, it was a hell of a lot closer than it was even just a few races before, even as late as the Monaco Grand Prix, where Michael had a horrible race and finished 10th and Hakkinen won dominantly in the McLaren. Then Michael won in Canada, and Hakkinen retired, in fact both McLarens retired, and then obviously Michael won in France, uh, that was the race where Hakkinen started on pole, they all got away, Hakkinen took a lead on the first start, there was a red flag because Verstappen stalled on the grid in his Stuart Ford, and it was like, mm, what, I remember Ron Dennis getting a bit upset, thinking, well, there was a safety car for cars on top of each other in Canada on, on one of the starts there, but a red flag for a stalled car seemed a bit funny, but anyway, Michael then got the lead on the second restart and led proceedings from there without any issues and Hakkinen had a scrappy race. So it was close and it had come down to six points. So going into the British Grand Prix weekend, it was all to play for. And in the first practice sessions on the Friday, Coulthard and Hakkinen and the McLarens, they topped the two Friday practice sessions with Michael finishing seventh and third respectively in the first and the second practice i mean by all accounts michael's setting up more focusing on uh, on car setup as opposed to just outright lap time hence the seventh place in the first practice session and then in the second practice he was more it was kind of a more representative time from the ferrari finishing third behind the mclarens so going into qualifying it was a straight shootout between michael and mecca with Hakkinen coming out on top in qualifying uh, with a time of 1.23.271, which was just shy of half a second faster than Michael on a 1.23.720. So just shy of half a second. It was quite a big gap. I mean, at one point, Michael went faster than everybody else took the fastest time, but then Hakkinen came along and just battered that time. And that was how it stayed for the rest of the session. Hakkinen on top, Michael trying to go quicker, and it just wasn't on. So... Michael would start the race on the front row alongside Hakkinen. Moving on to race day. Race day was grey and wet. And the conditions were kind of all over the place. Like heavy rain in the morning. Um, but it dried out. And it was this question mark as to which tyres to start on. Uh, in the warm up in, in the wet, Coulthard went fastest. Um, and the heavy rain persisted throughout the morning but then stopped and, and it was very windy so that the, the track dried out and yeah it was it was kind of making deciding which tire to start on quite tricky because you obviously had the full wet and you had the intermediate tire some people maybe even thought a dry start but it was clear that was suicidal it was a not that was going to be a, a bit of a, a risk let's put it that way I mean, the track had a mixture of dry and wet sec uh, sections of it, and the race started relatively dry, but if you've seen the conditions that they raced 
at in this race that changed very quickly so moving on to the race itself Hakkinen led Michael Way off the start and Coulthard kept in touch with the front two in fact on the fifth lap Michael made his move um sorry no Coulthard made his move on Michael and uh yeah took second place Hakkinen led Coulthard second and both McLarens left Michael for dead really the, the, they pulled out a massive lead they started lapping people very quickly but the conditions were starting to get really tricky Hill spun out early on for example Johnny Herbert spun trying to let his teammate by he was ordered to let his teammate Alacy by but Michael I keep saying Michael but Johnny spun couldn't get going again and he was not happy with that and the rain began to fall heavily and when I say heavily it became torrential like torrential rain if it rained like that in 2019 the the race would be stopped no question about it the race would be stopped that yeah just go look at it like the spray uh, from the cars was insane absolutely crazy but different era different times and the race continued and the cars went round and they kept going so deciding which tires to go on ended up proving to be a difficult decision for McLaren. It was blatantly obvious that intermediates were not going to work because the conditions were so bad. So McLaren pitted Hakkinen and stuck him on full wets. But the rain continued to fall at the same rate. But they didn't put full wets on Coulthard. They continued with intermediate tyres on Coulthard's car. And he was not happy. Came out immediately was uncomfortable with the conditions on that set of tyres and he flew off the road down at Abbey Chicane, the same place he overtook Michael earlier in the race, but Coulthard was out of his home race. Flew off the circuit at high speed, across the gravel, didn't, you know, crash or anything into the wall, but yeah, DC's race was over and everyone was going off, spinning, it was really, really tricky. I mean, the drivers earned their money that day, that's for sure. So Hakkinen still led and he had a near 50 second lead over Michael. But that was until Hakkinen came through bridge, the incredibly fast right hander, the old bridge corner, which was just amazing. And he spun, did a massive full spin across the grass, managed to collect it, going across the gravel as well. He actually damaged the car a little bit, a little bit one of the um, one of the end plates, it damaged the, the one of the end plates on the car. And he continued, he lost about 10 seconds because of it, but he still had a massive lead. But the conditions were getting really, really, really bad. To the point where even dominant race leader Mecha Hakkinen had a high speed spin. Could have been hell of a, hell of a lot worse, to be fair. He could have gone off and had a massive shun, but he was able to collect it and carry on. And since the race was, you know, just, just getting absolutely battered by the weather, the conditions were so poor, the safety car was deployed, and Mika's massive lead over Michael and the rest of the field was quite literally washed away. And the, uh, funnily enough, once the safety car came in, the sun started to peak out. Not that it dried the circuit quickly at any rate or anything like that, but the weather stopped getting bad, started to improve. And at the end of lap 49 out of 60, the race restarted and Michael hounded Mika. And because of the damage the McLaren had suffered thanks to the spin, it was clear that Mika was struggling to hold off 
the pressure from Michael. He was just struggling to hold on. And that was proven on lap 51, coming through the Maggots and Beckett's complex. The McLaren just completely missed the corner, went off onto the grass, and Michael took the lead. He shot by, and he left Mika, well, left him for dead. And I've said that a couple times this episode, but he left him for dead. And Michael sped off. He pulled a massive lead. He was lapping considerably quicker than Hackerden. And that looked like that was it. Michael was going to take a dominant win in the end after everything that had happened in that race. Starting second, dropping to third, falling 50 seconds behind the leaders. He was now leading and pulling away multiple seconds a lap. So it looked like it was going to be a comfortable finish. But as Murray Walker famously said, anything can happen in Formula 1 and it usually does. And in this event, everything changed near the end of the race. So on lap 58... It was announced, to the confusion of both Murray Walker and Martin Brundle on commentary, that Michael had been awarded a 10-second stop-go penalty. Now they were like, why? What's that for? And they, they cut to James Allen in the pits, and they were saying, well, maybe maybe it's because he he jumped ahead of a back marker before the safety car line um, on the restart. And it's like, it'd have to have been like by millimetres if that was the case. But Michael had a 10-second stop-go for some reason. Obviously, it would turn out that Michael had overtaken Alexander Wurtz under a yellow flag. And that happened on lap 43. It was quite, you know, quite harsh. He still did overtake, so fair enough. But the spray was insane. But we'll get to that in a minute. The stewards left it very late in the race to give Michael the penalty. And what would happen next would actually leave F1 looking a little bit silly. So Michael had built up a huge lead over Hakkinen since you know he took the race lead with less than 10 laps to go. It was a massive lead. And as he began the final lap, it looked like he was going to ignore the stop go and fight it out with the stewards after the race. That's what the commentary team said. Said they're going to fight it out with the stewards after the race. So go for the last lap. Everyone's kind of gearing themselves up, ready for a little bit of political uh, uproar after the race and the stewards and, and all the rest of it. And you'd expect Michael to come out of Luffield through Woodcut Corner and cross the line to take the win. And then obviously all hell would break loose. Instead, what happened was probably worse and more dramatic. So instead of coming through Woodcut and crossing the finish line, Michael entered the pits, came through the pit lane, crossed the line whilst in the pit lane so the finish line at Silverstone was at the beginning of the straight after Woodcut it was kind of still it was an it was an odd setup even at the time that was the old start finish line because it used to be on the um the, the grid used to be around Woodcut it had been moved down the start finish straight a bit more so he crossed the start finish line and he stopped and took his 10 second penalty despite the fact that now he'd finished the race he'd crossed the line Hakkinen finished second the traditional way but by that point Michael had taken his stop go and he was out of the pits and he continued to pound around the circuit for a couple more laps after the race before finally parking the car in in Park Ferme. I always kind of wondered whether it was to make it look like he thought he had another couple of laps in hand to take his penalty. It was like it was a, a sneaky idea to yes 
I've taken my penalty legitimately. I'm just going to pound around for another couple of laps to make it look like I've... I didn't realise that the race was finished kind of thing. But for whatever reason, Michael continued, parked it up. And then it was very much like, a, have I won? I have no idea. No idea if I've won. And nobody knew. It, the graphic popped up on the TV and it was like, has he won? And Brundle's like, hang fire. Let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And, and, and Murray Walker's like, I'll, I'll go with it. It's fine. I've got nothing else to go off. So no one really knew. It was very, very strange. Very confusion. No one had a clue what was going on. And after several minutes, it was finally declared that Michael had won the British Grand Prix for the first time in his career. So he stood atop the top step of the British Grand Prix podium at Silverstone and celebrated his third win on the spin, his fourth win of the season. And there's this quite funny picture that if you go look it up of him on the podium, he's basically like shrugging his shoulders with a look on his face like, ooh. It's, it's quite funny. But McLaren were furious. They had accused Ferrari of cheating uh, by having Michael do his stop-go technically after the race had finished. However... It became apparent that it was actually the stewards that really made mistakes in this situation. Uh, well, they made a number of errors. So let's start with that process. So as I've said, Michael passed Verts under a wave yellow flag, which Michael claimed he didn't see due to the conditions, which I think is perfectly understandable. I, I can't say I don't believe him regarding that. Ferrari argued that Michael had served this penalty within the three laps you have to serve penalties such as a, dry, um, a stop go. However, technically finished the third lap before completing the penalty. So he had done the three laps, lap 58, 59 and 60, and he came in for his, you know, for his stop go and that was completed following the completion of that third lap, the 60th lap of the race. So that was an argument that was thrown. However, Ferrari then countered that argument because the, they said the stewards had given Michael his penalty after the time limits the stewards have to do so. So stewards can't just go giving out penalties with three, you know, five laps to go for something that happened earlier in the race, for example. They have a certain amount of time to give penalties, and that penalty is within 25 minutes of the you know the infraction taking place, and. The stewards gave Michael the penalty after 30 minutes following him passing Verts under the waved yellow. The penalty was handed out 30 minutes later. So he'd dead missed their own cutoff, but still gave Michael the penalty. The notice that the stewards were penalising Michael was handwritten and wasn't very clear. So Ferrari then claimed that they weren't sure what kind of penalty was paying, you know, being handed to them, whether it was a time penalty uh, that would be added on to his race time or whether it was a stop-go. So they dragged out that process, you know, saying, what are you actually giving us here? What are you giving us here? And the penalty came too late in the race. There was too few laps left to complete the penalty. They gave him the penalty with three laps to go. And he has three laps to do the penalty. So the stewards made a number of errors. They didn't give Michael enough laps to complete the penalty. They didn't give him, you know, uh, so it was given after too long a time. It was a bit of a mess. And in the end, the decision to penalise Michael was thrown out altogether in the end, and his win stood. McLaren protest, you know, they protested this decision, but that protest was thrown out as well. 
and the free stewards who were involved in his whole debacle handed in their licenses to the FIA, which is hilarious, really. Made a massive blunder, huge blunder. And yeah, they paid the price. They paid the price with their licenses to steward races such as this. So that'll teach them for trying to overcomplicate things. So Michael won this race. Obviously, he, he didn't win the 98 World Championship. I'll cover the conclusion to that race another day. But Michael would win the British Grand Prix two more times in his career, in 2002 and in 2004, both times of which I was lucky to actually be at the Grand Prix that day and watch the race live in person. And a year later at Silverstone in 1999, as I've already covered on this podcast, Michael would have his infamous crash on the opening lap of the British Grand Prix and he broke his leg which you can go and listen all about, you know, on the 1999 episode of the podcast. So, 98 is certainly a much happier race, a crazy race, a very wet race with a highly memorable and controversial finish. But it will go down as one of the more crazy wins of Michael's incredible career. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Shumi section here on Everything Racing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, in fact, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave a rating and a review and be sure to follow the podcast on social media. Just search for Everything Racing Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Life is about passions. Thank you for sharing mine. I'm Rob Manifold. Thank you for listening and I'll see you soon for another edition of the Shumi section here on Everything Racing Podcast.